0: This is it, part three of our interview with Michelle Pick. She has opened her heart with us, and I think you can see and hear her passion and love for young people. In today's episode, we talk about who the caring adults were in Michelle's life and the difference that they made for her. We also focus in on desiring young people to see themselves as God sees them, the importance of identity for youth, and letting go of young people to allow them to make their own choices. Michelle and I also talk about balancing our personal and professional lives and how God's call upon us can impact that. We wrap up the interview really focusing on what teachers need and how they need to know that they are valued. I think this episode is going to resonate with many listeners, so let's go ahead and get started. Have you ever felt that we are losing young people to the world around them and that they have already chosen to walk away from Jesus? without even knowing Him? And did you know that all young people are at risk for something? That's why I want to welcome you to the Jesus Is My Hashtag podcast, where positive youth development and youth ministry intersect. I'm your host, Deb Schroeder. Join me weekly for encouragement, resources, and strategies to assist you in helping young people make Jesus their hashtag. As we wrapped up last week's episode, one of the last things that Michelle had shared is she was talking about how it has surprised her that there are families that do not encourage the education of their child. Now, not encouraging them to be in school, to do their best, to do their work, to continue on with education, and even to be present in their high school education. Whether that comes from their own negative experiences or any fears or anxieties or mistrust they have, it really breaks my heart because. I know personally from firsthand experience, there is so much more that happens in a school environment than just teaching from a classroom perspective, from a curriculum perspective. It's always funny if you listen to young people and you come in the classroom, it's kind of fun to be a sub because you hear everything, right? You hear some of who's who and, you know, but you hear young people mentioning the same names of teachers and staff over and over again. These teachers and staff, they've become their favorites. And here's what I love. It's not about the subject they're teaching. It's not about the assignment they did. It's not about if they give them candy. It's about how they feel cared about. That time and time again is what I absolutely love to hear young people. They get excited about that. They get they get excited about somebody that's going to show up and keep caring and
1: cheering them on. So I'm sure you see that too. Uh, they, they need that. Uh, even even the kids. And, you know, we somehow we've talked a lot in this conversation about kids who are under resourced or under supported. But the kids who do come from uh, supportive homes uh, and who do have plenty of resources, they need the same thing, sometimes even more so uh, on different days. It just right. depends because, you know, they're struggling with entirely different things, but they're right. just as heavy. Exactly. And I think you,
0: you use the word heavy. I think sometimes young people feel that we as adults can minimize how something feels or the heaviness of something or the seriousness of something. And that becomes a barrier if we approach it that way. Thinking about when you were young, do you have an adult or two that jumps to your mind who like you can, can you think of someone who was your caring adult who showed up and kept caring no matter what?
1: Yeah, there are a few. It makes me a little weepy thinking about it. Yeah. So my aunt um, was was that person for me. And then um, my mother's best friend was that person for me also kind of through it all when things got rough in there. They were the constants and they were the ones who knew like, hey, even though you're not yourself right now and you're not probably proud of who you are and you don't feel good right now because you're not doing the right stuff. We know who you are, where you came from. We know you have potential. It was really because of those two women that I think that, um, that I did still feel worthy when I maybe didn't even deserve to at times.
0: One of the things I talk a lot about with young
1: people is,
0: um, you know, my hope is that they would see themselves as God sees them, right? God didn't make a mistake how he made them, didn't make a mistake, the life that they have, the family that they have, that they have a story that's going to come out of those that situation and out of who they are. And just how important it is that I wish young people could be grounded in their identity and who God sees them as. Tell me about the importance, the role that identity plays for our young people.
1: Uh, well, that's just kind of the struggle of adolescence is finding their identity. You know, it's like, am I somebody in this world? Who am I? And what's my worth here? It's, it's what it's kind of all about it it's what leads them to make the choices they make and um, determines really their whether temporary, how well they're doing at any given point. I think, you know, they're feeling good about themselves. They're knowing who they are. They have some roots.
0: Yeah. It's uh, all important. And it makes a difference. And one of the things that, you know, if you see a young person at the beginning of their high school experience all the way to the end, some they've struggled throughout or some have shifted what that identity is and are in the middle of trying, or even sometimes I think we see young people who are pushing so hard against the identity that parents want them to have because they want to
1: be their own person. Do you see that? All the time. Yeah. It's, and I don't know if it is different today than when I was their age. It seems like it is. Uh, there's more of that. It seems a little bit more rebellious. It seems like there are a lot more places to go and, and kids are just kind of fighting a little bit more these days. And, you know, maybe it was like that before, too. And, and I just didn't know it. But but yeah, they're they're kind of always evolving within themselves and just right. trying to figure out their place in the world and where they can fit best.
0: And I think that's key, where they fit best, where they choose. And sometimes it's really about the choice they make. It may not be the choice we wanted for them, but that's the choice they make anyways. How do you let go when you see a young person going away that may not be in your experience the best place, the best path for them to take? Or you see them teetering on good and healthy choices versus not so healthy choices. How
1: do you let go and allow them the space to make their own choices? Deb, this is the the big area that I struggle with. I struggle with control there because um I, I don't have a hard time letting go, you know, and I think part of that is my history. And I saw kind of the possibility and that scares me, you know. Not only um it scares me with my own kids, but also, you know, the kids at school, the kids in student council. And we've had discussions before or I have talked to parents before about hey you know, do you see a difference? I see this going on. Do you, what do you think is going on here? And, you know, and that's, again, when you can bring in some resources like your school counselor or, um, you know, their they're people, they're other people in their lives. But I, d- I don't really know the answer to that about, about letting go. I mean, I think, I think you keep fighting for them and you keep kind of guiding them until they don't let you anymore, until they make that choice for you. You talk about control is hard to let that go. And, you know,
0: if you've heard any of my episodes before, there's the seven part series where I interviewed our oldest son who walked away from his faith, walked away from his family on some level and rebellion. And some of the some of the headbutting really truly was caused because I couldn't let go. You know, that's not easy to admit, that's not easy to own. And, you know, I hope I'm smarter and I hope I have it different. And I certainly hope my other two do not do that. As well, but it's just this piece where even if you're not their parent, you care, you start to care so much about young people in the work that you do that it's hard to let go. And because you want them, you see such possibility in them, you want them to achieve that.
1: And sometimes we have a unique pers- uh, perspective because we are not their parent, you know? So if, um, again, I'm thinking of one girl in particular. You know, she would probably let me hammer on her a little bit more than she would her mom because she felt comfortable saying to her mom at some point, hey, back off, leave me alone. But she probably put up with with me a little bit more um, chirping in her ear. You know, I I don't know how far that got us, but I think together we we saw her through it together. I mean, um, her parents and the rest of us, all, all of us who cared. So
0: serving young people can be all encompassing. It can be emotional. It can have highs and lows. How do you balance your own personal life and your professional life?
1: One question, because I really, I don't think I do. <laughs> I don't do a good job of it. I, I feel like I am kind of always doing and um, my brain doesn't shut off. And I don't know The I, I would do better. I think if I was not accessible so much, I'm, you know, Email, you know how we all are these days. Right. Anyway, with technology, email comes to us at any time. Um, with my student council group, there's an app that we communicate in, and it organizes all of our different works into channels. It's it's uh, the Slack app, and it's the kids will be on there any given time, either talking about projects or maybe they're just communicating with each other and bonding and or sharing something, and that's fantastic. But um, it's it's difficult to shut it off. So there. I'm a terrible one to ask that question because I don't have a lot of balance (laughs) and I, and I don't, I don't say no very much. So if I'm asked to do a project or be on a committee or do something, I usually do it. So I don't know. I just, like I said earlier, like I tell the kids, you just find a way to get it all done. And, and I think the balance maybe is just that you do get it all done.
0: Like for me, I know that there's this piece of feeling that I know I'm called to serve young people. That's the passion God grew in me from early on. And no matter what role I've had or other things I've looked at serving young people, that's my passion. Caring for the adults that care for young people is my other passion. I think sometimes that makes it hard too, because not only do I don't want to let God down, I want to be obedient and do the things he's called me to that sometimes I think that can also make it difficult for me to find that healthy balance. How about you? Does that play a role, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it does. And I think, um, you know, the longer I've been in education, you know, when I first started, oh, it's it's really cringy for me to look back and to think about it. You know, teaching from textbooks and reading stories and, you know, trying to talk to the kids about theme and and all the literary devices. And and that was really such a focus. And, and these are still things I do that I have to do. I, I I definitely don't teach from a textbook anymore. I guess I don't do that. Um, but curriculum-wise, I still have to do all the things. But my focus is, and a lot of it is because of student council, but it has. Like, I've really felt more of that purpose develop over the years. And so when I look back, and I, I don't think I realized that that was my purpose. I think I just like to read and write, and I wanted other people to know um, the joy there is in reading and writing. And that's, that's why I started being an English teacher, but, um, but you're right. It has um, developed into much more than that. It's, it's way deeper.
0: It shows in the work you do. The other thing I'd say is that ministry, whether it's a job or a volunteer role you have, I think when you're serving young people, it's a ministry and ministry. Burnout is real. We all get burnt out. We all feel overwhelmed at times. What things do you do to replenish yourself so that you continue to serve and avoid burnout?
1: I think taking time away with my family, um, traveling, reading something that's non-curricular, that helps. I love concerts and live music. Just kind of just being in the world and, and not really taking care of anybody, but just kind of being is, I think, the best way to go about it. That's how I kind of replenish.
0: So is there anything else that you would tell our listeners today, anything you would want them to know about young people or the work you do with young people or
1: anything that you think would make a difference for them? I don't know if it's uh, just the current state in education or politics or what, but I think a lot of teachers feel overworked and underappreciated right now. And I think that um, I don't think the general public by and large really has a handle on what it is we do. I'm not the only one, obviously, who cares for kids and and really delves into their work with kids. There are so many awesome people I work with who do the same thing and and plenty who do it better than I do it. But I don't think the public gets that. And so I just wish that we could get back to where we held teachers um, in a higher regard and where we supported them more and respected them more. And I don't know, just kind of lifted them up as and made them feel like, hey, we're here, we're professionals, and, and we're doing what we want to do. We clearly don't do it for the money or the fame or the glory, but we do it because we love it, whether it's, um, you know, we all, we love our curricular areas, of course, but, but we love kids, and we love the ability to make a difference in lives. I mean, that's really, that's really the biggest payout we get is that, you know, over the years, the thousands of lives that we've touched and hopefully they go forward and, and, you know, they volunteer in their communities and they impact lives and things like that. So I would, I would just ask people to take a look at the teachers and the children's schools and people who work with them everywhere and make sure they feel supported.
0: You know, growing up, just, we always had a value and a strong value yes. and respect and having homeschooled, I believe has taught, I know it's hard. And I only was teaching one per subject per grade. And so I know that's hard. And then to have shifted to subbing in the classrooms, it has opened my eyes. And to get to know the teachers, and you're right, there's so much love and passion that our teachers in our community have for young people. And that's nationwide. They wouldn't stay in their role if they didn't believe in making a difference in the lives of young people. This past summer, I worked on a prayer project that grew out of my praying for teachers and youth during the school year. If you want to check that out, go visit jesusismyhashtag.com store. You can purchase prayer cards to join me in praying daily for our teachers and our youth. These prayers are important because I feel like we need to bolster up our teachers. We need to let them know that we see them and value them. And it's the same thing for our young people. They need to know that we see them and value them too. I can't help but think that if our communities had a better picture or had that inside view that I've been able to get while subbing, I believe we would have more vocal support of our teachers. And that's part of my
1: hope. Michelle, what would you say that looks like? More empathy. There's so much more than meets the eye. Uh, For the people who think that, you know, we work from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., Monday through Friday, and nine months out of the year, it's... They, I think they would be surprised. So, yep, right. you got it. And and you do have a special uh, lens being a substitute and going to so many different classrooms and grade levels, and you see it all. Right.
0: You do. And you see more than you want sometimes. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> more than you expect, maybe is the right word. Anything else you'd
1: share? Hmm. I'm one, let's see, what will I think of later that I'm going to say? Oh, I wish I would have said this. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, I will say this, which is is maybe kind of surprising, um, especially considering the things that we were just talking about, but it hits me every now and again, just how glad I am, how fortunate I am, how grateful I am to be in this role where I get to go every day. And that's what I get to do. I get to read stories and I get to talk about them and I get to write. And more importantly, I get to interact with all of these people who need this interaction at whatever level and impact lives. And and it's never the same thing twice. It's always interesting. There's a lot of laughing and there's some spontaneous singing and it's fun and it's it's valuable, I guess. It's really fulfilling. And so I, I just feel really lucky to be able to do it, I guess. But, but that's my job. I love it.
0: This is a great place to wrap up this interview. Hearing Michelle be excited about getting to go into the schools each day and loving what she gets to do, that's part of what keeps a youth worker going. And I pray that you've found your calling in serving young people, wherever that may be. And I pray it fills you up as well. At the time of the release of this podcast episode, we are inching towards the holidays. So make sure you join us next time because I'm going to share three gifts that you can give a young person during the holidays and beyond. Hey there, fellow youth workers. Thanks for tuning in today. Remember what Matthew 937 tells us, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, keep showing up and keep caring.